want to, um, I, I don't have a handout tonight, but I'm going to be talking about the church. Um, it's part of our ongoing study here, Christianity 101. So, um, the church, the church is the topic for tonight. We'll just kind of start with the, with the word, first of all. Um, the Greek word that's translated uh, church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia, and it's, uh, uh, it's really a pretty generic term. Um, the the, de- the, the de- definition we're going to, the ways in which we're going to be describing it tonight and, and, and defining it um, are coming from the context. In other words, coming from the, the New Testament. But, but the, the word is, is just means uh, like assembly. It's like, in fact, that's a, um, that's a good, uh, <clears throat> good way to think of it in terms of translation. Because um, it can <clears throat> refer to, for example, a, a political meeting or something like that, an, an assembly, just the same way we use, um, we use that word, assembly. So it's just a generic term, ecclesia. Literally, it's the idea of the, the called out ones. <clears throat> and uh, the Lord um, uses it uh, to refer to his people. So, so the word is, is just a, a general term, but the way that it's used in, in the New Testament or in the, in the Bible period, actually, um, and I'll explain that in a minute, but the, the way that it's used by the Lord is, is what is of great significance to us. So what is the church? I mean, when, when we're thinking in terms of uh, um, um, the Bible's use, when we're thinking biblically, um, think about you, you, you know, you see the word church in the, in the New Testament, for example. <clears throat> what is it? What is it talking about? What is the church? So let me give you a, a, some descriptions here and just start with a, a definition that I like here. I've jotted down in my own words and I've also got a quote here. Here's the quote from, from uh, Wayne Grudem. Um, the church is the community of all true believers for all time. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. That's real close to what I had put myself, which is um, the church is all of God's people from every age. So let me give you an example of that. If, if you uh, look in Ephesians 5, which we'll probably look at more than once tonight, a great, great passage concerning the church. Ephesians 5. Verse, um, verse 25, great exhortation for um, Christian husbands here, um, uh, instruction on how we, are to, how we are to love our wives. And here, and of course this is what Paul is doing here, he's talking about um, various relationships in this chapter, and he winds up uh, with spouses in verse uh, 22, uh, wives submit to your own husbands as the Lord. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. And here's the part I was looking for. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, that's, there's the term, ecclesia, that I was talking about a moment ago. The church. Husbands, love your wives. Great instruction. 
Um, we're, to, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So, so Paul uses this metaphor here of bride and groom. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. There's a correlation there, in which he's going to um, even go deeper with further down. But how did Christ love the church? Well, he says here, he loved the church and gave himself up for her. Boy, there's a ton that goes into that. <laughs> into that. Um, he gave himself up for her. Um, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. All right, so who did Christ give himself up for? And, of course, there's reference here to his, um, his death at Calvary. Who, who did Christ die for? Say it again. Yeah, for, for all the believers, right? For all believers of all time. So that's, that's the church that, that Christ gave His life for. Um, all believers of all ages. Now, a couple other terms that are uh, phrases here that are commonly used and, um, in, in the, <clears throat> the, these types of description are in the New Testament as well. The term universal church, for one, usually when we use the term universal church, um, we're, we're talking, again, it, it can be, it, we could be talking about the church around the globe, around the world, or, or we could be saying what we were just saying a second ago, that the church um, from all ages. That's the universal church, the body of Christ, all believers from all ages. So you could say um, God's elect who spanned all of time, and all ethnic, national, geographic, and cultural boundaries. The, 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 you know, the church is not, it's not one nationality, it's not one ethnic group, it's not one um, skin color or, or anything of that sort. It crosses all of those, uh, or includes all of those, um, those, those um, divisions, and crosses all of those boundaries. So that's the universal church. Jesus said, and you know, I love this statement, Jesus <laughs> said that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham in the kingdom of God. What a picture that is. All part of the church. Now, there's also uh, uh, the local church, which um, I, I think you know, most of the times that, that you see the, the term used in the New Testament, um, that's what it has reference to. Um, a local church somewhere. Um, but the local church is a body of believers in a particular geographic area um, who are joined together in active covenant relationship, functioning as one body for the purpose of corporate worship, service, mutual edification, and obedience to the mandate to make disciples of all nations. It was hard to keep that one short. So There's, there's a lot that goes into being the church, right? Um, now, let me read you a few little quotes here that I think help with that as well. <clears throat> and these are, these are more descriptions. I'm going to go ahead and read through a little paragraph here, and then we'll come back to this idea of the local church. And, and this is, again, it's Wayne Grudem. In the New Testament, the word church is used to describe different types of groups of believers. 
And he lists some examples here. A small house church, uh, for example, in Romans 6, 5, 16, 5 and 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The church in an entire city, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 2 Corinthians 1, 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1. The church in an entire region, Acts 9, 31. I'm going to read that. That was a little bit unique. I'm going to read that one. Uh, for you, the others you see a lot. For example, like the church in a particular city. Let's see, like Ephesus or Galatia or something like that. So Acts nine thirty one, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Now that's after the conversion of Saul of Tarsus um, to Christ. But notice, uses the singular there, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee. So it's describing, uh, and Samaria. So it's describing uh, um, what it has in view there is, is all the believers in, in, uh, in that region. So it would really be um, made up of, of multiple local churches. But nevertheless, he refers to them as the church. And, and we do the same thing, you know, right? Like we could say the church in Louisiana, meaning all the, all the Christ followers in, in Louisiana. Or sometimes we'll say, you know, the church in America as opposed to the church in Africa or something like that. And so we just take in the whole uh, region or continent or whatever it is. The church throughout the entire world... Ephesians, and back to where we were a second ago, Ephesians 5.25, what I just read, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is, he gave himself up for the church throughout the entire world and from all ages. Also, 1 Corinthians 12.28. 1 Corinthians 12.28, I want to look at that one. I didn't... First Corinthians twelve twenty eight. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administra- administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So again, he's got in view there um, the universal church. So Grudem goes on. Therefore, a community of God's people at any level is rightly called. A church. In other words, you could be talking about um, a, a local body like Fillmore Baptist Church, or you could be talking about, you know, you could say the church at Halton, meaning uh, all the believers in this area, or you could say that the American church or the universal church, the worldwide church. Um, all are rightly called a church. All right, back to Ephesians 5. Now this, this is... Um, the scripture uses different metaphors. This this is this one is so important in, in Ephesians five. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read read you again from uh, Grudem a, a list here of different ones before I look at Ephesians five though. Um, first of all, um, a body. You know everybody's familiar with that one. That's another a big one. 
1 Corinthians 12, for example, Paul describes the church as a body made up of many members. Um, then a temple, First uh, Peter 2, 4 through 8. And you can also think about, you know, Paul uh, writing to the Corinthians in uh, chapter 3 and chapter, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. A holy priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 5. Branches on a vine, John fifteen five. An olive tree, Romans eleven seventeen through twenty four. A field of crops, First Corinthians three six through nine. Paul talks about uh, uh, himself and and co laborers, and you know we plant, we water, God gives the increase. Uh, but he says you to the Corinthians, you are the field, right? So there, there, there are several different metaphors employed, um, and one of those is, is the bride of Christ. And I want to go back to uh, Ephesians 5 for this. In other words, there's a spousal um, metaphor here. And we were talking last night in our... Uh, small group study and we're doing the study on marriage and uh, this is one reason this is so important uh, is because this is and I'm, I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit here for a second because this, this we're handling two subjects at once basically is what Paul's doing here but uh, this is uh, this is what marriage is about this this defines marriage and marriage is a living uh, parable or, or picture of Christ's relationship with the church, the elect, all God's chosen from all ages. Um, we're considered the bride, you know, believers, God's elect. We're considered the bride of Christ. So we're, we're the wife. Jesus is the husband. That is the primary reason marriage exists, to reflect that relationship. And that's why, um, again, we talked about this a little bit last night, but that's, that's why you, you that's, that's why perversions like homosexuality, or, or you know, same, everybody uses the, the uh, phraseology same-sex, um, marriage or same-sex unions or whatever, uh, that sort of thing. Or, um, and you can think they're very. That, that's not the only perversion. Uh, ad- adultery. You know, one one um, spouse commits adultery um, ag- against their sp- spouse. You know, commits adultery with another person. Or, or you know, uh, doesn't even have to be a person. You know, one of one of the biggest uh, problems we have today, of course, is. Um, and that in that area is pornography. That's a, that's a form of adultery, sexual immorality. Um, what the what the scripture calls uh, porneia, porn, pornography. Um, so that's a perversion, or or a, um, uh, of you know of the the marriage you know the marriage relationship is uh, the sanctity of it is violated, um, and you know and there are other things as well. When when we don't do what Paul commands here. Um, wives submit to your own husbands 
as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Then what we're doing is marring the image that God has provided of Christ's relationship with His church. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's serious business. Our, in other words, our marriage, just like all the rest of our life, um, is intended to glorify God. So, so there's, there's, it's got to function the way that God has designed it to. And according to, and here's how that is. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And by the way, you see that metaphor again there, the church as the body. Verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So see how um, Paul is, is, while giving instruction, marital instruction, um, he's, he's using this husband-wife metaphor um, for the church. Just as the church submits to Christ, Paul says, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So, that, so again, the two are joined. This one is to, is to picture the other. The husband's affection and action for the wife is to mirror Christ's affection and action to the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. There's a, a, we're going to see a lot of that in the, in the book that we're going through on Tuesday night. A lot of, a lot of good discussion on, um, practically on what, what that means. That He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Again, this is Paul's description of Christ's treatment um, of the church. 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. So he's saying, here's, here's how Christ loves the church. He gives himself up. Philippians 2, he expounds on that. He, uh, he, he uh, emptied himself um, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Um, he, he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and was obedient even to the point of death. So, so he gave uh, himself up for her and cleansed her by the washing of the water of the Word that he might present her to the church, uh, that he might present the church to himself in splendor. So in other words, what Christ is doing for the church is all toward working toward making it's all for her good. It's all toward making her um, more beautiful, adorning her in splendor. And so Paul is saying, husbands, this is how you love your wives. In other words, give yourself up and work for her good. Work for her edification. Work for her sanctification. Let your, let your relationship be um, with that goal. And what, in other words, what you do is to, to those end, to that end. So that he... Uh, whoops, read that one. Let me jump down. I didn't finish that verse. 
Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So Christ is working to perfect the church. And Paul is saying, husbands, you're to work to perfect your wives. Now, we don't, we, it's, it, there's difference here because Jesus is perfect. <laughs> and the way that he makes us perfect is making us like himself. Now, if, if I take that approach with Leslie, I'm going to mess her all up, you know, cause, <clears throat> because I'm not perfect. So working to make her like me is not going to work. But I, what I, I can, though, serve her in such a way um, to encourage her perfection. But, but the goal, the end, would be that she becomes more like Christ, not, not like me. And, and, and Lord willing, you know, if by God's grace I do that, then at the same time I'm going to be becoming more like Christ. So, um, husbands, love your wives in that you, you spend yourselves to make them holy, to make them like Christ. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives. See that? In the same way, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Everybody, everybody nourishes and cherishes their own flesh, Paul says. That's, why, that's the way Christ treats the church. He nourishes and cherishes the church. So, Paul says, husbands, love your wives in this manner. Christ, um, and why does Christ do that? Because it is His body. Again, He's, he's, uh, he's mixing the two metaphors, uh, wife and body. So he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, if you, you might say, well, now, Christ, Paul, Paul assumes everybody nourishes and cherishes their own body. True enough. Check that off. And Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because it's his body. You might say, okay, now I'm off the hook because my wife is not my body. You know, this metaphor doesn't work for me. Oh, but it does. She shall be bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Jesus said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, and they are no more two. So, it does, it works the same way for us. She is my body. And Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of His body. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. And here's Paul quoting from Genesis. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. One flesh. So just like the church is the body of Christ, Paul is saying, and, and, and therefore Christ cares for the body and, and he, uh, he works for the good of the body, for the perfection of the body. Paul says, remember back in Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave his wife. The two shall become one. Reiterated by Jesus as well in Matthew 19. So 
What he's saying to the husbands is, your wife, that's your body. Your one flesh. Cherish and nourish your wife. Work for her perfection. Work for her holiness. Give yourself up for her. Now look at verse 32. Here he's given given all this great instruction concerning the church, uh, concerning uh, husbands and wives, and now he says, "This mystery is profound. Definitely is right. I mean, you just you read verses 22 through 31. It's it's profound for sure. This mystery is profound. But listen to what he says. And I am saying." that it refers to Christ and the church. There's this whole marriage thing that I'm just talking about, Paul says. It's a, it's a, it's a mystery, um, only now he's, he's opening it up. He's unveiling it for us, unpacking it as it were. He says, it refers to Christ and the church. What does? This relationship. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Married, what we call marriage, it's a mystery, Paul says, and it refers to Christ and the church. Now, some of you are thinking, I knew it was a mystery, but <laughs> I knew marriage was a mystery. I just didn't know it referred to Christ and the church. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a mystery created by God to mirror the relationship between Jesus and the church. That's why the roles are so important. That's why it's so important for wives to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. And that's why it is so important for husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church, etc., etc., because the whole thing is designed to display, as it were, um, Christ's love for the church. So when people look, when, when the world or, or other Christians, whoever it is, when they look at married couples, when they look at you and I, what they ought to see is, my, look, look how He loves her. That, that's how Christ loves the church. My, look, look how, she's, how she honors Him and how she submitted Him. That's how the church submits to Christ because of His goodness and so forth. It's created to mirror the image between Christ and the church, what marriage is all about. So, that is a metaphor. The marriage relationship... Uh, um, or you know, the bride of Christ is a is a metaphor used to describe the church, and that's why uh, what we see right there, because that is the whole purpose behind behind marriage. I'd say the the primary purpose. Certainly, marriage is also about procreation. Marriage is also about uh, enjoyment. You know, enjoying one another, um, and, and all of those things. But primarily. It is to glorify God through mirror, mirroring the image um, of the relationship between Christ and the church. All right. Um, one last point here, and then if you, y'all want to have a little 
discussion on some of these things, we'll do that. What makes a church a church? Now, I'm, I'm back to thinking in terms of, of local church, all right? Um, when, if, I mean, if you're thinking in terms of universal church, uh, well, you know, people have to be born again to enter into the universal church and, and all those whom God has chosen before the foundation, you know, of course, come to Christ. All who are, are uh, those who are, are chosen, elect, or justified and, <clears throat> and glorified. But when we're, when we're thinking in terms of a local church like, like us here tonight or what we call Fillmore Baptist Church, what constitutes a church? Well, I'm going to, um, because I think this is right, um, give you give you a, a, an answer from from tradition, really, and I think you can <clears throat> bear this out in the scripture. Um, but the scripture doesn't tell us, you know, like X, Y, Z, one, two, three makes a church, all right? But but here's, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't give it straight out explicitly like that, but it gives us uh, plenty of information to go on. But traditionally. At least since the Reformation, um, there have been two marks, two character, two two things, um, um, two activities, uh, usually referred to as marks, um, used to describe what it takes to constitute a local church, and they are number one, the faithful preaching of the word. In other words, there's got to, there's the Bible has to be being preached. There has to be um, adherence to the Word of God, you know, um, right doctrine, sound doctrine. So number one is the, the faithful preaching of the Word, or you could say the right preaching or correct preaching of the Word. And number two is the observance of the ordinances, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, um, <clears throat> Luther, Martin Luther, in his early days, um, just kind of focused on the first one. And uh, he, he made the statement, you know, which, of course, you kind of put it in context. Remember what he's up against there with the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and that's, that's what he had in view a lot of times. But, but Luther made the statement where the, where the Word is being preached, there you have the church. Where the Word of God is not being preached, there you have no church. So, I mean, you can get people together and you can build buildings, you can put signs up and all that and, and go through all the motions, but Luther was saying, and this was his main point, if you're not faithfully preaching the Word of God, then you don't have a church. That's, uh, you know, that's true. I mean, I would, I would agree with that. And then, as I said, uh, in, in thinking about these things, and, and uh, um, especially in the, in the time of the Reformation and, and, and following that, um, most agree uh, that, that it takes the, these two things, the, pre, the right preaching of the Word and the observance of the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, and then some groups add a third mark, which is discipline, church discipline. Um, I think that one is really already automatically included in the first two, but I'm fine with adding it also. Um, so, so some point that out as well. 
So what constitutes church? Well, it's not just being together. I mean, in other words, like you get a couple of Christians together and you get in a bass rig and go head out on Lake Bistano, you don't, that's not church. <laughs> or, you know, you meet down at the coffee shop or whatever um, and have a latte and a donut and, and talk about Jesus. That's not church. Now, it's true that you are members of the church individually, um, but what is going on there is not church in the, in the uh, I don't think, in the biblical sense. There, there has to be um, a genuine community. Um, and and uh, some of the things like we're seeing now as we go through the book of Acts, you know, the, the order and the care for one another, the, the observance, again, the observance of the ordinances, you know, they're baptizing, people are being saved and they're baptizing them. Um, they are observing the Lord's Supper, and they're doing that corporately. Um, so, uh, and, and then you've got the Word being faithfully preached, as we saw in Acts 6. Peter talks about um, serving the Word. So, so I, I think those are correct, uh, those, those two marks at least. And, and uh, you may want to add the third one as well, church discipline. Church discipline is... Uh, by the way, is, is certainly includes correction, but it's not merely corrective. Um, there are two aspects to church discipline, formative uh, and corrective. And that's why I said it's really kind of already included in the, in the first two marks. In other words, if you're, if you're doing any kind of teaching and training and so forth, that's discipline. That's, that's formative. That's what Paul's... Uh, I always automatically say Paul's. what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews 12, and he used, there he uses uh, the analogies of, of athletes, you know, running a race or boxing and so forth. That's what he's, he's talking about, training, training. A lot of, time, uh, a lot of times um, people assume that's talking about spanking, you know, the Lord chastens those whom he loves. The, the idea there is training, and, and I'm not against spanking. The Lord will do that too if you need it, but, <laughs> but thank God. I'm glad that he does. But, but, what he, but in context there, what he's talking about is training, training, training. In other words, the Lord loves us, so He disciplines us. He trains us. He, he puts us through things, just, just like we just saw here in Ephesians 5. What, what is Jesus doing? He's, he's working to make the bride holy. That's what, that's, that's what chastisement is in, in that sense. It's, uh, it's training, uh, educating in, in a... a a sense to uh, to grow us, to mature us, to make us endure. In fact, um, he starts out that passage <clears throat> by saying that you're to run the race, how? With endurance, right? See, he uses uh, the analogy of a runner. You run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the shame of the cross, right? So uh, he's saying the Lord um, will do things to enable us to endure. So that's that's formative discipline and and you know and corrective as well. But discipline is is both aspects, formative and corrective. Those things have to be present too. I think in a in a, uh, a genuine church setting. Certainly the first two uh, I, I think are are, are essentials. They got to be there. If, if you don't have the third one, you, then you, you may have a church, but you've got a, a weak and, and uh, um, sickly church. All right. Um, 
Any comments on any of that? What's the church? The church. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And if you're thinking in terms of universal church, it's, it's all the saved people from all ages. Um, that's awesome. I mean, we've been reading the last... We've been reading through Genesis. Um, and, and so, you know, you read these accounts of Abraham... Um, Isaac, Jacob, and now we just fin- we just finished Joseph, and uh, uh, we're, we're part of the same body. We're part of the same family, and one day, just like Jesus said, we're going to all sit down together in the kingdom. Awesome, awesome. And if you're thinking in terms of a of a, of a local church, that's a good definition that uh, Miss Linda gave. You're thinking in, in terms of a local church, it's, it's, it's just on a smaller scale, but it's still a community of believers. And, uh, and, and certainly even more, uh, functionally even more like a family. You know, we're, we're, we're part of the same body with um, Christians in China, let's say, or Africa or Peru. But... Um, I, I don't have the same relationship here that I, with them that I have with you. I'm not, I'm not accountable to them in the same ways that I'm accountable to you and vice versa. So in a, in a local church setting, it's much more intimate. And, uh, you know, you've you got the, the, the cooperation and the mission and, you, and the accountability factor and, and all of those things uh, come into play in the local church setting. Okay, anybody else? Any, any thoughts? I'm telling you, this is better than the Elks Club. gets down to practice, decisions have to be made, don't they? I mean, you... Mm-hmm. 
Amen. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I think I told y'all when we were on uh, when we went to Alabama last uh, August, went through Mississippi. We you know we made a point of going to uh, First Presbyterian Church in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, because that's where Ligon Duncan was was the pastor. In fact, oddly enough, I, it seemed like when we visit churches, the strangest things happen. But oddly enough. Um, you know, the day we were there, he, he gave his resignation. But, um, <laughs> but uh, hopefully not because, you know, we were there. But, but, but we, we purposely went there because, like Brother Carl was just saying, you know, I have, I have a lot of respect for the man. I appreciate his ministry, and I, I wanted to go, you know, visit the church and hear him preach. But, but I couldn't be a member there. Um, even though, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm confident he's a brother in Christ, and I'm sure that, um, you know, a lot of those people in the congregation um, that, that were around us were brothers and sisters in Christ. But, um, uh, so we're all part of the universal church, but, but because of the distinctives that Brother Carl was talking about, the different ways that we understand certain things. Um, James Boyce. Yeah. James Boyce or Barnhouse? Yeah, Boyce, yeah. He was excellent, yeah. One of us is wrong, that's right. <laughs> or both. <yeah. laughs> uh, James Boyce, as a matter of fact, I've, I've heard Mulder talk about this. When, when all of that was going on with the, the war in the Southern Baptist Convention, and Mulder, of course, you know, was in the thick of it, Bo- Boyce was, was there for him. And, and uh, you know, he, he, he would call him and contact him and, and uh, was just... Encouraging. Um, I've, I've, heard, I've heard Moeller share something about that, and just talk about what what a what an encouragement. And, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's right. <laughs> 
right, anybody else? Okay. Um, as we dismiss, uh, what I'm going to do is ask that uh, not to embarrass anybody or anything like that, but, but just because I think this is what we ought to do. I want us to get around uh, over here with Tiffany and pray for her because before, um, before we gather again, Lord willing, Sunday, um, she'll be headed down to Peru. And uh, so Sunday morning, you'll be where? What's the name of the building? I'll be leaving Monday. So Sunday, you'll be in Florida. Okay. All right. All right. So let's let's do that. If we can just get together and join hands right here. And uh, Brother Carl, I'm going to ask you to lead us in a word of prayer, if you don't mind.